In Puerto Rico, they call themselves Boricua. But Boricua is more than a name for a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure no matter where it may lead, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. And you can experience all that warm, welcoming, passionate culture set in a tropical island paradise without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens or permanent residents. Learn more about how you can live Barigua at discoverpuertorico.com. In Puerto Rico, they call themselves Barigua. But Barigua is more than just a word to identify a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. In Puerto Rico, you can experience a tropical paradise with world-class beaches. You can immerse yourself in the rich 500-year history of Old San Juan, where there are stunning forts, classic town plazas, and iconic monuments. You can indulge in a foodie paradise with renowned restaurants, seaside kiosks, and an innovative cocktail scene. And you can take in an abundance of natural wonders like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. National Forest System, all without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more about the warm culture of Puerto Rico and how you can live Boricua at discoverpuertorico.com. Hi, and welcome to Travel Tales, a podcast from Afar Media. I'm your host, Deputy Editor Aislinn Green. I don't know about you, but I am finally beginning to dip my toes back into the travel waters. For example, I recently took my first flight in nearly two years, which took me to Alaska. Getting back out in the world, it really just makes me want to travel more. So, lucky for us, the creative folks I've worked with over the past seven years, comedians, philosophers, novelists, they feel the same way. So each week on Travel Tales, we'll hear from one of our favorite contributors about a trip that changed their life. Ready? Let's go. It's time to head for America's heartland. Our guide will be Kelly Jo Ford, a Virginia-based writer, teacher, and author of Crooked Hallelujah, a much-praised novel that follows four generations of Cherokee women. In this episode, Kelly Jo takes us on the road. For years, she's made regular pilgrimages to Oklahoma to visit her family. And as a kid living in Texas, those trips were especially poignant. Her grandma Longshore would meet Kelly Jo halfway to take her back to Oklahoma for a summer of noisy feasts and preserved wild onions and creek crossings. All the things that to Kelly Jo felt like home. And their meeting place of choice was a Love's Travel Stop a special institution in this part of the world. Love's is famous for their 24-hour services, which can include gas, travel tchotchkes, fast food, on-site tire repair, and much more. But for Kelly Jo, this family-owned chain, which naturally features a large red heart and its logo, is more than just a place to get gas or use the bathroom or stock up on road snacks. For her, they are forever linked to home. It wasn't until I was well into adulthood when I realized that people went on vacations, actual trips to Disney World, or visits to the world's largest rocking chair. Growing up mostly as at-large citizens of the Cherokee Nation, whenever we traveled, we went home. 
That's what my Aunt Mom and I are doing this morning, the sun just beginning to peek over our shoulders. It's July of 2021, but my mom's oldest sister has been Aunt Mom to me since I was a kid. She still is, even though I'm middle-aged with a kid of my own. I grew up with an Uncle Dad and a bunch of powerful aunties, cousins more like brothers and sisters. I guess it's just our way. Aunt Mom and I are headed east through the green peaks and valleys of central Virginia to Interstate 40. COVID numbers around the country have improved. People are hugging loved ones again, and it's way past time we do the same. I-40 will take us all the way back home to the Cherokee Nation in eastern Oklahoma. There we'll see my 87-year-old grandmother, Jojo, who lives in a care facility now. Aunt Mom and I, we leave early, both vaccinated and caffeinated, just happy to be in the same space, sharing the same air. She tells me all the family gossip, and, like always, I ask her for old stories about growing up Cherokee and very fundamentalist Christian. Stories about what she left and where we're going. My parents are going to meet us in Oklahoma. They'll drive up from their farm in Texas with my eight-year-old daughter, Cypress, who has been visiting them for the past two weeks. We'll all converge at JoJo's and spend a week together, drinking cherry limeades from Sonic, gorging ourselves on Brahms butter pecan ice cream, and taking JoJo on drives through her precious Cookson Hills. When the week is up, my parents will drive back home to Texas. Aunt Mom and I will load Cypress up with us and head east, back to Virginia, where Cypress will start third grade in person. Somewhere in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains, I see a familiar sign of four cascading hearts, red, yellow, and orange, the chain store rest stop of road trips past. Let's time our stops with loves, I tell Aunt Mom. I love love, she says, and we pass through the pointy tip of Virginia into never-ending Tennessee. Each time we get down to a quarter of a tank, we find a love's There have to be 50 or more loves between us and home spread out along I-40. Each store pretty much the same inside. Bigger than I remember, but like any other travel stop. Sweaty hot dogs rolling on stainless steel rods, coffee stations, phone cards, bins of stuffed animals wearing t-shirts embossed with whatever big university football team is nearby. Usually the only people in masks, we do our business quickly. We've made some version of this trip for decades. Three quarters of my grandmother Jojo's daughters migrated to Virginia from Sequoia County, Oklahoma. They came gradually, starting with Aunt Mom almost 50 years ago. When I had a daughter, I joined my aunties in Virginia. Mom migrated too, but only as far as Texas. When pressured over the years to move closer to one of her daughters, my Jojo always gives a familiar refrain, I was born in Oki, and I'll die in Oki. On cool mornings, you can see steam rising up from Salisaw Creek from Jojo's porch. The house is quiet now, still filled with all of her stuff that didn't make it to the care facility. When Aunt Mom and I arrive, we'll put our bags in the same closets, but it won't really feel like home anymore. I remember that Jojo's house always felt quiet, a little scary to me. A loving but stern woman, Jojo never wanted to be called grandma, and she didn't want kids running or yelling. I had to go to another house for that, my Grandma Longshore's. To get to Grandma Longshore's house, you had to drive across Salisaw Creek. Not across a bridge, but through the actual creek. If the creek was up, 
you had to make the haul all the way around past the town of Bunch, which as I recall, consisted of a Baptist church, post office, and general store. That meant extra miles of washboard gravel road. It also deprived me of the creek crossing. When I was a kid, crossing Salisaw Creek with Grandma Longshore was crossing over into a whole different world. When the car edged into the water, I would roll down my window and stick my head out, watching the water cascade away from the tires. If nobody was looking, I'd hang my body halfway down the door and drag my fingertips through the water like we were boat people, and this was just another day at the lake. If anybody but Grandma Longshore was driving, they might steer off the big flat rocks where it was shallow and into the channel. The car might float a bit, catch traction, then be fine other than the floorboards had been transformed into double sinks full of water. Or maybe the distributor cap would get wet and the car would stall out. A terrible thing for the adults of the world, delightful for a child. The grown-ups would roll their jeans up and push us to the far bank. I'd skip rocks or hunt crawdads while adults worried about adult things like drying out engine parts or getting a late start on dinner. Once across the creek, we'd pass the Big Feathers house, the closest neighbors, and make the hairpin turn down a steep hill where we'd cross another creek, this one just a trickle. We'd pass the dump where they tossed household trash and stiff dead chickens with straight scaly legs. I'd lean my head out the window now ready for the last downhill curve that brought us to the two-story farmhouse with a sleeping porch and a wiener dog named Pepper. Unlike Jojo's quiet place, Grandma Longshore's house was always busy. She cooked feasts that we ate around a full table in the cramped kitchen. The well was bad, so we hauled drinking water in from town in white gallon bleached jugs. Her four grown or nearly grown children were in and out, loud with their coming together and apart. They had a party line where us kids would sneak and listen to the Big Feathers phone conversations. Mom and I moved to Texas when I was eight. It was Grandma Longshore who would meet Mom halfway at a Love's Country store in Atoka, Oklahoma, to pick me up and take me back home during summer break. Waiting for Grandma Longshore there at that Love's, a big bag of Funyuns and a slush puppy in hand, I felt like I might burst with anticipation of getting back across that creek and everything that came with it. She never let me drift away no matter how far away I moved. Summers or graduations or weddings, it didn't matter. Grandma Longshore got in her dusty car and traveled to where I was. She had a fiery temper for those who wronged her family, short permed hair and false teeth with the best arms for hugging ever to exist. Grandma Longshore had many grandkids of her own, some by blood and others like me. I wasn't her grandbaby by blood, but I was her first grandbaby, and she never let me forget it. She put up wild onions, a Cherokee staple, every spring. 
She'd save a batch for me and cook them up with scrambled eggs and brown beans, then send me back to Texas with strawberry jam and old margarine containers. That was the kind of woman she was. As Aunt Mom and I bounce along I-40, each love draws us closer to Oklahoma. Not the one of my memory. Nobody gathers wild onions and labels them Kelly Joe. I'm of the age that I should be passing the tradition on to my daughter, Cypress but I wouldn't know where to look. I don't cross Salisaw Creek anymore, unless it's over a highway bridge miles away. Grandma Longshore passed years ago. I don't even know if the old farmhouse is still standing. Jojo, who suffered through a lifetime of poor health, is the only one of my grandmothers who's still alive. When we get to Jojo's, it's startling how frail she seems, sitting up in her hospital bed, wrapped in a pink Pendleton blanket. She squeezes us so long, it feels like she might not let go. But then, we offer to take her to Sonic, and then over by Brushy Mountain, the promise of a little something sweet and a pretty view loosens her grip. Every time we come home now, I better understand that it may be the last time, because home is only partly place. Cypress doesn't know Jojo as someone to tiptoe around. She knows her as someone who needs extra help, an elder who needs care and love. She offers to refill her drink, proudly pushes her wheelchair. When it's time to go back to Texas, Cypress is sad to leave Jojo, brokenhearted to soon be separated from my parents by half a country. But she's got friends to look forward to, in-person school starts for the first time in a year and a half when we get back. Once we've said our goodbyes, cried out all of our tears, Cypress, Aunt Mom, and I drive to the rhythm of our own voices. Every time I see the Love's logo, it's four stacked hearts. I feel the stretch of time and the reach of love of our ancestors. A cynical part of me wants to roll my eyes at such successful marketing. Really? But yes, that is the story I'm telling. And this glorious eight-year-old kid, Cypress, she can't stop talking because she's been in Texas with my parents, her granny and poppy. Gathering eggs in my mom's little chicken house, driving the mule through mesquite-dotted pastures, to have picnics surrounded by the swishes of horsetails, and cats who think they're dogs. Mom and Pop put up salsa. They saved a few of last year's jars to send home a cypress, just like Grandma Longshore did for me. On our long trip back home to Virginia, we'll stop at every loves we can hit. I'll say yes to more sweets than I want to, and buy Cypress a bag of Funyuns that'll cause her to fake gag in the back seat. When we get back to Virginia, Cypress will start making plans for her next trip to my parents, mapping out their agenda of chicken feeding and cat wrangling. She'll ask when we can move to the Cherokee Nation, where she can be close to Jojo and learn our language. I have more questions than answers, more memories than plans, but I'm grateful for what we have right now, a heart full of family and a bumpy highway back to our home in Virginia. When my daughter looks back, I wonder what she will see in our shuffling back and forth. What will she think of the time she spent in the middle of a pandemic, flying down the interstate, hanging a hand out the window, 
hunting Love's Country stores with her great aunt and mom. If we are lucky, we come from a family, or maybe family chooses us actively again and again. And home, maybe it can be a place both at the beginning and the ending of our journeys. That was Kelly Jo Ford. Kelly Jo is back in Richmond, Virginia, but she and her daughter are already planning their next road trips to Texas and Oklahoma, hopefully next summer. They'll definitely stop at a few loves along the way, she says, for Funyuns and slush puppies and sunflower seeds. In addition to her work as a writer and editor, Kelly Jo periodically teaches fiction at Santa Fe's Institute of American Indian Arts. You can read her work at kellyjoeford.com and follow her on social at kellyjoeford. Finally, it's time for Tiny Travel Tales, when we hand over the mic to our listeners. That's you. Now let's hear from Allison Soda from Portland, Oregon. Growing up, I always had an unexplained affinity for India. I nurtured this curiosity by studying and researching Indian religions in college. After graduation, I made my first trip to the country and my life was forever changed. 20 minutes after landing in Delhi, I met a man named Parth. He worked for the local company that operated my tour. Our group arrived at the hotel and we learned that all guests had a room, except for us. As per protocol, Parth and his associate waited with my friend and I until our room was ready. We talked about everything India, from politics to Bollywood. Finally, at 6 a.m., our room was ready and we said goodbye. As I was in the elevator, I turned to my friend and asked her if it was appropriate to go and ask Parth for coffee. I felt like our story was just beginning. She understandably said no, and I let it go. As it turns out, Parth asked his associate if he could come up and ask me out for chai. His associate expressed similar sentiments. No fraternizing with clients. The next week, I returned home. I was ill during my trip, and so Parth's associate wrote me to ask how I was feeling. I wrote a note of thanks for taking care of us and sent a couple photos from that night. He could not open the files, so he sent the email to Parth. We ended up emailing daily, and that was during the time of dial-up, so I was easily checking my email 15 times a day. There was something so magnetic about our conversations, almost like we had found one another again. I eventually sent him an email with two questions. Do you believe that everything happens for a reason? And do you want me to mail you anything from the States? Parth replied, yes, I do believe everything happens for a reason because I met you and I want you to mail me your heart. Six weeks later, I returned to India. Two years later, Parth and I were married. 14 years and three children later, he still has my heart. That was listener Allison Soda. Allison says that, quote, with the exciting news of India's borders reopening, we are all traveling as a family in December to India and Sri Lanka. Ready for more travel stories? 
Visit us online at afar.com slash travel tales. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Afar Media. If you enjoyed today's adventure, we hope you'll come back next week for more great stories. Subscribing makes this easy. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And please be sure to rate and review us. It helps other travelers find the show. This has been Travel Tales, a production of Afar Media and Boom Integrated. Our podcast is produced by Aislinn Green, Adrian Glover, and Robin Lai. Post-production was by John Marshall Media staff Jen Grossman and Clint Rhodes. Music composition by Alan Kresha. And a special thanks to Laura Redman, Irene Wang, Angela Johnston, and Nina Gainsler-Debs. I'm Aislinn Green, your semi-impatient travel-ready host. I can't wait to hit the road again and again. As we begin to explore the world once more, remember that travel begins the moment we walk out our front door. Everyone has a travel tale. What's yours? What's yours?